argue with my simple little mind, you could probably twist me up and get me cornered and get me frustrated where I can't think straight and I have a irrational conversation. But you can't argue with the Word of God. It's perfect. And that brings us back to the the gospel and what we were saying. And I just, before we dive into the final prophecy, I wanted us to just talk a, a minute, just you and me talking about the Word of God and yeah. what it means to you. I've actually taken this position now that if I ever had the chance to speak to a bunch of people who are naysayers, I'd just be more inclined to say, and, and I don't feel this way. I'm not, I, I don't want anyone to believe somehow that I, I, I feel like Joseph Smith's character was questionable or whatever, but I would rather just stay. Oh yeah, you say he's a polygamist, sure. You know, he had all these things and he did all these bad things and he was a false prophet. Anything you want to say, sure. Now can I tell you what the Book of Mormon says? Because you cannot assail this. You cannot challenge this with any scripture, any story, any other uh, Gentile preacher. They cannot share the word better than it's shared in this book, period. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. I just remember being in this class, and I don't even think I was ordained, but one of the questions that came from Jim, who was one of our spiritual mentors back in the day, uh, Jim Robbins, was simply, you know, how do you how do you tell someone the message of the gospel? And you know, a couple of people were quick to raise their hands and say, "Well, you tell them how every church went astray and Joseph knelt down in the grove and and all this." And it's like, no, that that was the history of the restoration. What is the gospel? What is the message? And you know, this message is that man fell from God, and he wants to bring us back. You know, and and that's that's what it is. I mean, we're we have a pl- part and place in that story, but. Uh, but that's not where it started. So I always remembered that moment in time. And so that question, what is the gospel? That's, that's huge, you know, that we understand what it is. Yeah, the, um, I think Section 76 is one of the places that it's, I need to pull that up because we haven't, we, we've referenced it so many times, but uh, I wish I had a good scripture search. Do you know of any? No, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I found one, restoregospel.com. Let's see here. Section 76, the gospel, the glad tidings is what it said. And it's, uh, the Lord, thus saith the Lord concerning all those who know my power and have made partakers thereof and suffered themselves through the devil of, through the power of the devil to be overcome and deny the truth and defy my power. They are they who are the sons of perdition of whom I say it had been better for them never to have been born. They're vessels of wrath, doomed to suffer the wrath of God with the devil and his angels in eternity, concerning whom I have said there is no forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come. Can you imagine me in a, a, a person that is no longer able to be forgiven from God? Mm. And that's... That's because that that person has come to the point that they can no longer repent. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if there was some good in their heart and they wanted to repent, God would forgive them. But they they can't be forgiven because they can no longer repent. There's nothing within their spirit to respond to that love anymore. That's that's my opinion. Um, 
having denied the Holy Spirit after having received it, denied the only begotten Son of the Father, crucified him under themselves. These are they who shall go into the lake of fire and brimstone with the devil and his angels, the only ones on whom, the only ones on whom the second death shall have any power. Mm-hmm. The only ones who shall not be redeemed in the due time of the Lord, after the sufferings of his wrath. For all the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead through the triumph and the glory of the Lamb who was slain, who was in the bosom of the Father before the worlds were made. And this is the gospel, the glad tidings, which the voice out of the heavens bore record unto us, that he came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and cleanse it from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel, the glad tidings. Mm. Yeah, so I was thinking about... um, when we talked about uh, the guy that said I would give up all of my sins to know, to know God. Yeah. Wasn't so, that King Noah? Yeah. yeah, King, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to, uh, I love King Noah. He's my idol. <laughs> He's my idol. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I always wonder if someone tunes in to just that episode. And they're like, Your son doesn't these guys don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's a non-running joke. Uh, so um, if the gospel Part of the, it's weird because we talk about the gospel. It, it, in some sense, it is words. It's print on paper, or in today's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's electronic mm-hmm. lines on a screen. It's the words that have been recorded that allow us to know the message. But the gospel is alive. It's, it's breathing. It has power. It's, it's intertwined with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's the good news that. But its work, its purpose is to make its way into the inner man and cry out from that inner man and help him want to know better and want to be drawn towards goodness and righteousness and holiness. And it makes him want to leave, like King Lamoni said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would give up all of my sins to know Christ, whether that happens in a moment's eye in the snapping of a finger or whether that happens over a a lifetime of diligence and obedience, that has to come into the heart of every man. They have to say, "I, I will give up everything to know him. And why is that? Because they know that they're not giving up everything. They're giving up everything that can't do anything for them, that can't fulfill them. It can't bring them hope. It can't bring them satisfaction. Uh, there's only one thing that can, and when you get to the point that you realize that, that's the work of the gospel. It's the good news. It's it's the realizing that that fruit that hangs off of that tree is the only thing that matters, the only thing that will fill my soul and give me freedom from, from sin, freedom from anger, freedom from lack of peace, freedom from struggles with sin, from being tied down, from waking up in the morning and just having that cloud over you that something's not right in my life and something's not right in my heart and 
and need to be better. All of those things are gone, and it's just peace and joy and reveling in the love of your creator because you have found your way back home, mm-hmm. and that is that is home. That is being in the presence of the love of God, you know, and, and you have no desire for anything else. That's the work of the gospel. But we have to get to the point in our life where we realize that we need that. That's the other part of it is uh, we have to understand that we're sinners and that we're enemies to God and that Adam fell, that men might be, and there must be an opposition in all things and misery and all of that, which brings us to the final prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Now, we just started rolling this morning, Corey. You and I have not been together for some time. Poor guy, I don't. I just don't know where you get your fortitude to <laughs> continue to work a hundred hours a week and and then shoot pictures over to me. Corey says he's working a lot of hours on projects, but I've noticed in Corey's life this little <laughs> family member appeared in his house, and his name's Traeger. <laughs> Traeger came with a Wi-Fi, even, <laughs> and I've noticed that. Corey says he's got these projects going on, and yet I keep seeing pictures of wonderful roasted pork and chicken wings and queso dip. And I saw last night a correlation where text messages have slowed down about the same time pictures of Traeger food have started appearing. So I don't know, you know, if he's really had projects, but I, I didn't tell you why I was getting up at three in the morning. Stuff to grill. No, we uh. We were talking about about the experience, isn't it? You and your son getting out there and just yeah, you know, it's it's so much more. We bought one of these Traeger grills because, uh, well, I I've kept our grill, our normal gas grill, we've had going like for three lifetimes longer than it was supposed to be. You know, re- replace the burners and different components and all that stuff. But anyhow, um, I've had a little smoker things, but I don't know why. I guess uh, I I convinced myself that. You know, food is more than just eating. Uh, it's it's the atmosphere of preparing food together and tasting it and celebrating. And you remember those moments, and it's all about, you know, it, it, there's a lot that's unspoken about just, you know, how we share with each other in life, but it happens around food. And mm-hmm. for some reason, when you cook it yourself, there's just some experience that stays stays with that, the memory of it. I remember when my uh, one of my sons was young and we were, I can't even remember the event, but we were making a big family meal and, and, but it was just us, our immediate family. And, but we were all working together and cooking and, and I don't know, he was probably junior high age at the time, but he said, this is my favorite meal. And I'm like, Oh, you mean the meat? He said, no, when we all just get together and do this, you know, (laughs) that's, that's what it, that's what it is. So I figure, you know, it's, it's more about the experience, even just the food, but, but right now it's been so fun. We're cooking food and just putting in the fridge and freezer, not even eating it all just because it's kind of fun to use this new grill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Weston and I really got into that during the COVID thing and, and still going on every weekend we would, we would smoke it and, you know, we'd freeze half of it and we'd put a bunch in a bag and just take it to somebody. And I just, I love the process yeah. of a, of a long cook and, and geez, man, when you lift that lid and the smoke rolls out and you see this beautiful brown piece of chicken, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, sitting right next to Mike's microphone is, I couldn't leave this morning without bringing him a little taste of our recent project. Uh, <laughs> one of my sons decided to try a recipe, smoked queso on the grill. Oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. So if you hear Mike slurping over there, he's tasting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode is brought to us by our sponsor, Traeger Grills, and uh, we're thankful to them for uh, <laughs> yeah, really. the smoked queso. Yeah, it's good. Well, so, uh, you taught a class not too long ago, a couple of years ago, or last year at Colburn Road, entitled "The Final Prophecy," and we we had some books made up. And if people go to Restored Gospel, I'll put a link here in the show notes, RestoredGospel dot com. Um, you've got a PDF, which is really nice. You can download that to your device, or your computer, and, and it's the actual book in just PDF format. Um, you know what's cool? If you get an app like Notability or GoodNotes for your tablet, you can bring a PDF right into your tablet or, or Microsoft has a OneNote. You can bring that right into your and, – and right next to it, you can make notes on your mm-hmm. tablet, on your device. I've been doing that a lot lately, and, and you can blow it up, and there's unlimited space. And so if you really want to have a working study document, I recommend getting OneNote by Microsoft Office uh, or GoodNotes on Apple uh, or Notability. These things are so easy to digitally make notes, and you can color code things. It just has really helped me in my study. So Mm. side note. But, yeah, the PDF version is there, but there's an online interactive version. And I want our listeners to know this, and we'll have a link to it. But it's called the final prophecy, and give us Corey the uh, thirty thousand foot view of what that means with the final prophecy and what this whole study was. It was a uh, what you p- compiling notes you've taught over the years in a methodical format that walks us through the story. Yeah, there's a little personal history behind it, but to <clears throat> answer your question, the the final prophecy is a look at primarily the Book of Mormon and Bible scriptures that take the puzzle pieces of prophecy in the last days. And now they don't start in the last days. They start in the first days, but try to give us a roadmap to when this world is done and heaven and earth come together again, when we return to God's presence. And ultimately the scriptures give us that roadmap. Um, the personal part of this, uh, I guess it's twofold. Um, at really, your encouragement, Mike. I mean, uh, you you wanted me to come teach at your congregation and open the door, and I appreciated that. But at the same time, I was thinking, you know, over the years when I taught, I I just had notes that were inspiration in the moment for whatever class I was teaching. But realized there was sort of a theme; they all seemed to center around um, the return of Israel to God and the role of the Gentiles and these prophecies and stuff in Scripture. But I had never organized them really, and so so I took some time and. Um, and and put these notes from other classes together in an outline and then sort of filled in some of the details. And so the final prophecy is mainly an outline of scripture. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I'm not inserting a lot of opinion in there, but I'm trying to piece it together in a roadmap where you can see one end of the other. Now have a little more to say about that later, but the other part of this, um, the reason that, kind of came into being and coinciding with, you mentioned teaching at Colburn Road. Um, a couple of years prior to that, um, good uh, friend of mine, a man I have a lot of respect for, started a, a men's study 
And <clears throat> the purpose of this study, he, he just handpicked some people and said, hey, would you, I, I really, really want to figure out why we don't have Zion. You know, this was, and it was like, it was almost like, hey, if we just all get together and figure this out, maybe we can fix whatever problems keeping us from having Zion and we can have Zion. You know, it was almost like that, I'm not saying simplistic, but it was like, it pointed to the the desire in his heart was so strong that we needed the kingdom and we had to have, you know, the, the bad things of this world resolved by God's goodness that um, he, he thought maybe we just have to identify what we've been doing wrong or what we've been missing, mm -hmm. right? And so the the quest of this class was the, the men, and it didn't have to be men, but it just turned out to be. Um, that he had picked, he kind of asked each person to present um, various views or reasons why we felt like we didn't have Zion. And people, well, several people took a topic and they, some of them went to church history, like recent church history. And uh, I remember one brother, you know, showed how the saints in Jackson County didn't keep the financial law, for instance. And that's why we didn't have Zion. And the other people were kind of coming at it from different angle, but similar. And, and all this left me a little bit confused because I felt like, well, is this it? I mean, we just, uh, we almost had it, but we didn't quite have it. And so now if we just tweak something, we should have it. You know, that's, that's kind of how it felt. And so in my, my own personal quest, I, I felt to ask the Lord. I was like, Lord, what, what is the reason? And I was drawn to something J.J. Cornish wrote back over 100 years ago. Um, and he, he was commenting that in 1917 at one of the world conferences, someone came up to him and said, and now granted, this is in the church, restored church, our LDS church specifically at a conference, feeling like things are so imminent. And then this person said, if, if the kingdom isn't here by 1925, you know, eight years from then, that point, this whole thing is a fizzle. That was the comment that J.J. Cornish writes in his book. And J.J.'s response to that was simply this. Zion comes when the covenants concerning Zion are fulfilled, right? And so for me, I asked this question, so what are the covenants? And for me, that began a new journey. And it was after this men's group kind of did their thing and dissolved. And, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what, what are the covenants concerning Zion? And, and those start at the beginning with Adam and everyone. So I started a quest just to study and understand. And I guess the final prophecy is sort of a result of that. I mean, we'll, we'll go into some of the details as we talk, I suppose. But it was a quest to really understand. And, and Mike, I'm, I'm being just transparent here, and you, you know this. I'm not telling you anything new. I had to put blinders on, if you will. I had to block out all the paradigms and stuff I had heard everyone say in order to just study what do the scriptures actually say about this. And... Um, I guess to qualify that a little bit, I, I really had to stop hearing, stop in my mind for a little bit, all the testimonies and dreams and visions and feelings and different things of people in our day. Well, Zion's going to be here in five years and Zion's going to be this and Zion's, and just say, okay, Lord, what did you tell us through the prophets first? And I, and I, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to start with that. So the result is an outline of about a thousand scriptures. 
Uh, I mean, and they're not presented all at once or organized in topics, but um, the result is to try to piece together from the scriptures really only, not putting a even a restoration spin on it, although obviously the Book of Mormon's part of the restoration, uh, to, to piece together the, the pieces of prophecy that we do have, and we don't have a complete picture of, of what the last days really look like. Okay. The so the word final means kind of, well, in my opinion, when I read the final prophecy, I, I look at it like the overall most important, the last word, the the main gist of life and the meaning of life is this, that God, you know, man fell, God created us to go through this opposition to be able to find our way back to him, be drawn back to him, and to be reconciled and restored to him and to partake of the fruit of the tree. So man comes down, God has this plan, man falls, part of his plan and the whole story of creation and life on this earth is is God working with man to bring him back to himself. And this has been prophesied over and over, and that's the final prophecy, the number one thing, the number one thing we're told about, yes. and we're working for, yes. and that we're all here to experience is... And so that is that's such a good point that I mean, that's the finality of it is that that's what all prophecy leads to or led to is God bringing him, his people, anyone who will, whose heart will change back to him. And that's that's ultimately what all prophecy since the beginning has been working toward. Yeah. So we've talked for a time about just doing this online on the podcast and this could take three years. This could, we could, (laughs) we could have a a standalone episode here and there, but uh, we're not leaving our conversational tone or, or the things of the day that are going on. We'll tie those things in through conversation, but I did want to let our viewers know that, you know, as I said, we'll put a link in, you can look at a PDF version, but this working version Corey's created on restoredgospel.com. For instance, I, I'm here right now, and you can go to this page, and there's about 30 or, or 25 sections with a little plus mark, and then you open those sections up. So let's just give a, a, a an example. So there's a topic. The second topic here is called the foundation. If I click on that and open it up, it brings up another 15 uh, subtopics called the beginning. Then there's another one, the problem of justice. The mercy of God, his sacrifice overcomes justice, and so on. The, the, you're judged by a changed heart. And then the neat thing is you open up one of these topics, and there's just points that are numbered. There's little comments like uh, the heart in Scripture represents the mind, the will, and the source of your thoughts and intentions. All we do and say in life is a reflection of our heart. Therefore, it is the heart that must change. Well, then there's a little scripture here, Matthew 12, 29. The great thing about this is you just tap on that scripture and boom, it pops up. So you don't even have to go thumbing through and you can read the scripture right then. And the scripture is, Jesus said, O ye generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, if you want to read that in context, there's another little note here. You touch on that, and I just got was taken to the whole book and that whole chapter. So that is how easy uh, and and interactive this study is. So I just wanted to point that out. If you haven't checked it out, get on your computer or your tablet and follow the link to the final prophecy, and you can 
see some of these things that we'll be talking about. So, I, Corey, I, I know you're going to act humble, and, and, and I know you'll you'll say, oh, it was no big deal. No this big would deal. be a lifetime's work for me, and I know you just, like, one evening you were like, oh, yeah, I threw it together. One evening, maybe not. <laughs> well, it, you know, I appreciate No, your, I know this has been a lot of work over, you know, 20 years you've compiled this website, but, but putting this together, and, and guys, if you're, the nice thing about this, I've been on a priesthood visit, and when you get familiar with this, you can go and pull up if someone has a question and you go to that section and there's a scripture and it's at your fingertips on your phone. I mean, it's that's how uh, handy and how beneficial it can be. I, I just really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Mike. I, um, if you have the PDF version, which the PDF is the same as the printout, if you're online with a PDF, you can also click on the links in there, and that'll break up the scripture even from oh, the PDF. Okay. Online, which there is, you go. So you got the interactive version, and then you got the PDF. But um, I appreciate you mentioned that using it on a on a priesthood visit because the intent was that this wouldn't just be you know my notes, but it could be a tool and. You could use it for teaching, for class outlines. In fact, someone just texted me recently who was doing some work with a Navajo and said they wanted to use it and combine it with the Book of Mormon project they're working on with the Navajo. So that was really cool. But um, we were I, well. Go ahead. You no, know, also, also, I was going to say is that um, I've tried to, I've tried to leave my opinion out of this um, as much as possible. And, and not have a ton of commentary, but just try to have succinct little points and and then let the scriptures kind of do the talking. That's the hope, anyhow. Yeah, that brought me to what I was going to say. We, we started out today, um, but I wanted to say this about the Word of God. Um, not too long ago, Corey, I saw somebody, <clears throat> and, and I've been pretty trained. I've been off of Facebook for the most part. I check in maybe once a day to see if I have any messages and make sure Restore Gospel. It has, you know, there's there's comments sometimes, but it takes me all the five minutes to thumb, thumb through storylines and I see what's going on in the world, and then I'm depressed for the next two hours. So I I try not to do that. However, uh, I did see uh, about a week ago or two two weeks ago uh, a man put on there an advertisement that um, there's this little project out there um, that they were going to be putting billboards up around town that uh, says uh, bring your Book of Mormon to school or work on a certain day and they were advertising that just to get the message out that you know there's people that believe in the Book of Mormon and that it's you know I don't know to start conversation or whatever that's not the point the point was. Whenever something like that goes up, of course, it doesn't take long for someone who opposites Uh, (laughs) opposes the Book of Mormon to come out. And so there was a comment made like, there's no, you know, why would I do that? There's no geological, you know, no geological proof that the Book of Mormon people were ever around. And, And then the banter from the saints started coming in. And of course, I couldn't resist. And I, I, I simply said, that's just not true. That's just not true. There's there is evidence, and I didn't want to get into it, but mm. I just couldn't let so. So I went to bed that night, Corey, and of course I read all the comments that oh yes, this was found here, and oh that's not true. And I woke up in the morning, and as soon as I woke up, I reflected back on that, and you know what the, the thought came to my mind was, we did it again. We got sidetracked so, yep. by someone who said that, mm-hmm. and the whole conversation, and then. And and I had this overwhelming feeling that, that was like, you can't argue with the word of God. And so I spent like 10 minutes trying to go back and find that post, and I found it, and I simply posted a scripture that meant so much to me about 
I don't even remember which one it was. One I had read recently in the Book of Mormon about the salvation and the power of Jesus Christ to save man. And I posted that on there, and I just made the comment. I said, this is from the Book of Mormon, and this book has taught me more about Jesus and my Creator than anything else and has done nothing but bring goodness into my life. Mm-hmm. If you if you have found something in here that speaks otherwise of Christ, please show me, and I would, be, I would love to hear from you and talk to you. But but this kind of thing has done nothing but brought me closer to my God. And I left it at that. And and I felt so peaceful. I thought, you can argue with my simple little mind. You could probably twist me up and get me cornered and get me frustrated where I can't think straight and I have a irrational conversation. But you can't argue with the word of God. It's perfect. And that brings us back to the the gospel and what we were saying. And I just before we dive into the final prophecy, I wanted us to just talk about a minute, just you and me talking about the Word of God and yeah. what it means to you. You know, what you just stated, Mike, I, I love that. It, it It's become apparent to me that um, most of the scoffing at the Book of Mormon by people who've never even read it usually comes down to things like that, you know, taking, taking pot shots or trying to impugn the character of Joseph Smith or a number of people in church history and say, therefore, your book is wrong. And so because... We, we feel we have to defend all those things. We, we never even get to the message of the Book of Mormon. It just, it just frustrates us and it makes us you know, angry that people don't see this truth, but, but we never get to tell the message of the Book of Mormon. And I've actually taken this position now that if I ever had the chance to speak to a bunch of people who are naysayers, I'd just be more inclined to say, and, and I don't feel this way. I'm not, I, I don't want anyone to believe somehow that I, I, I feel like Joseph Smith's character was questionable or whatever. But I would rather just stay, oh, yeah, you say he's a polygamist, sure. You know, he had all these things, and he did all these bad things, and he was a false prophet. Anything you want to say, sure. Now can I tell you what the Book of Mormon says? Because you cannot assail this. You cannot challenge this with any scripture, any story, any other uh, Gentile preacher, they cannot share the word better than it's shared in this book, period. And, and, but we never get to that point. We never actually tell the message of the Book of Mormon. And what's happened, I think, in our own generation is we've become so consumed with our own history and our own paradigm of what we think the gospel is that we never tell the story either. We, we, we get telling about us and we, right. and we get telling our history and we don't come back. And, and, you know, it's just been, it was actually through kind of creating this final prophecy where all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, the Book of Mormon tells the plan of salvation and mercy and justice and everything more purely, more concisely, um, with more meaning than any word I can find anywhere else in any book of scripture. And we haven't been yeah. telling it. I, uh, we recently, I started listening to a, a, a preacher, um, teacher, a minister, a men's Bible, online Bible study. And uh, I know sometimes this used to make me nervous. And, and maybe when our, our folks that um, you know, are born and raised in the Restoration, they hear this and it's from somebody from another religion, maybe it makes them nervous. And that's okay because I know that there's I know that there's beliefs out there that don't quite line up with what we understand because we are blessed with the fullness of the gospel. But I've learned, Corey, over time that I see those right away. And so they don't, they don't bother me. I don't, I don't worry about being misled. You know, I don't think I'm saved because I got down on my knees and offered a prayer one time, you know, those, Mm -hmm. but, but people are realizing in mainstream Christianity that that is not 
the way you are saved either. They're realizing you're transformed. But anyway, there's this man out there that I've been listening to, and I shared him with you. And he is so good at just expounding the word. I mean, the word is contained in Scripture. And so we'll go through a little 20-minute morning devotional Bible study. And while he's doing that, he allows people to call in or text in questions, and then they go over some of the questions at the end. And someone will send him a question, and I listen to him simply say, well, you know, in Galatians it says this, and then he expounds what that word means, and it completely answers the question that that person had. And he's not giving them his own knowledge. He's going always back to the word, the word, the word, the word, and he knows it so well that it uh, that it's applied in the correct way. Mm-hmm. That's the power of the gospel. And and as he said, if you're witnessing to someone and it's all about you and your testimony and what's going on and what the Lord's done for you, he said that that has its place. But if that's the main focus, he said you're not witnessing correctly. You need to witness by giving them Jesus as contained in the Word giving him the word and let the word do the work mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that's going to change the heart. Not, not you, you know, yeah. share your testimony, but that's not the number one thing. Invite them into the word and into Jesus Christ. And I think maybe we've substituted our narrative and our testimony of quote, the restoration through the years and have not allowed the word to do the work, and that is to change the hearts of sinful men by yeah. by presenting the gospel, you know, in a clear way. Yeah, you know that's so good, Mike. And and also, I can't change someone's heart. Only God and His Spirit can change your heart. You know, right? Well, our, we're called to present it. And you know, I, I heard it is the same person you mentioned, um, uh, Stephen Lawson, quoted. Uh, I think it was uh, Spurgeon who was pointing out the high calling of ministry and that there is no higher calling, you know, in a, in a sense. And, and I think Spurgeon's quote was, you know, if you're called to share the gospel, why stoop to be a king? And, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but, but again, we have to remember the limitation of our calling. I, I can't change your heart. I I have to appeal to God for his spirit to intervene so my heart can change. And, and that's what the gospel can and is designed to do when it's presented to people, but we have to make sure we're presenting it to people and not presenting ourselves or our own version of stuff to people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I like about, uh, the final prophecy and especially the way you've set it up here online is that, um, is that with every statement or with every concept that we talk about, that there are scriptures there yeah. that that um, that go along with it, and so we're drawn into the word, and we have these talking points. So, yeah, well, I appreciate you opening up the podcast to it, and I'm really looking forward to this, Mike. That you know, these aren't going to be uh, Sunday school classes so much, but uh, just more of a little conversational overview of some of these sections, and and who knows how long we'll we'll spend with it, but. Um, what I what I wanted to say is this whole notion of prophecy uh, is something that a lot of you know people when they think of prophecy you know you hear like oh well someone wrote a book or someone's got a commentary on the book of Revelation and they're talking about Armageddon and the rapture and you know these are things you hear in a lot of uh, evangelical circles and Christian bookstores are have shelves full of someone's version of the last days and things like this. But you know, 
what's fascinating is that if you look at the Book of Mormon, it explains the Bible and it also explains things that none of these people are talking about because they don't have the explanation of the Book of Mormon. And some of the conclusions they come to in some of these books and lots of evangelical preachers on, on the radio and whatnot, they also confuse words that were directed towards the Jews and the Gentiles. And they, they've twisted this into being, okay, anything that's bad is just talking about the world and anything that's good is just talking about us and not realizing the source they're getting their information from was a book from Jews about Jews to Jews, right? And that we're the outsiders looking in, but but we've somehow assumed this role that, okay, well, because we're the, quote, believers, uh, all these prophecies of good are about us and all these prophecies of bad are about everyone else. But what Nephi explains is, is clearly, uh, it comes with clarity that these prophecies were to the Jews uh, about them and the Gentiles, but the Book of Mormon separates which ones were about whom and why. And these interpretations that are made in the bookstores now and on TV, um, they're, they're missing pieces. They're, they're missing a lot of pieces and they're coming to false conclusions. And everyone is kind of standing on each other's shoulders to sort of figure this out. But, but they're, they're looking in the wrong direction. They're, they're looking at each other for the truth. They're looking at someone's, someone else's wisdom who came to a conclusion and, and they don't have the missing piece of the puzzle, which is the Book of Mormon, to explain this prophecy. Isn't that amazing? I was, uh, I was listening to the Bible Project podcast, and they're talking about the letters in the New Testament. And, Corey, this is a – I have never heard this approach to the Bible. They're talking – they're stepping back from – matter of fact, one of them said, we've got to get out of this place where we take one scripture and quote it and then build a whole philosophy and a moral way of life around it. And that's kind of how we use the Bible, you know, uh, we'll pull out of scripture, you know, well, sow all that you have and give to the poor, you know, and, you know, when the guy asks, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And, and what they're saying is the relevancy of the Bible is this, the whole New Testament, all of the letters and everything was, was taking two different cultures of people who were saying it was a call, it was a cross-cultural, um, you know, <laughs> the Jews had to get this idea that the Jesus is including the Gentiles in, and why is he including them into the kingdom? And there's this cultural uh, abrasion, this this butting of heads, this we're not going to eat with you or you're not eating the right law. And and so the, the relevancy of the Bible is everybody's included in the kingdom. There is no more Jew and Greek. And we would say today there is no more black lives and white lives and Asian lives. And there is just... Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not. And watching a culture come together and try to get that message and then listening to what was being preached to that culture, there's things that aren't relevant at all today and how they were dealing with things. But the philosophy on how they were doing it and how the gospel is relevant between cultures then we see what it meant at that time, and we need to use today figure out how is that relevant and how do we apply the gospel today in those standards instead of just plicking out a verse here and trying to say, you know, for Christ so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And, and we take a scripture like that and we build a whole uh, a world, a framework around that. And I'm not saying, <laughs> don't I understand that's a very important scripture, but you know what I mean? We pluck out 
these little verses, these popular Christian, you know, yeah, for, build a philosophy God didn't create me it. for fear, but to be strong in my, yeah. And what you need to do is figure out how were those being used in a culture then to then understand who God is and what he requires of people that are from different backgrounds, different races, different uh, uh, ways of being brought up, you know, an understanding of who God is. Yeah. You know, even Stephen Lawson, who I've just recently been exposed to, who's got, you know, an amazing website. You, maybe you want to link that to um, teaching tools, preaching tools. One passion, right? One, one passion. passion yeah, one passion. Yes. Um, but even at that, and I'm, I'm not picking on him because people could pick on me, I suppose, but... But he comes from sort of a, I guess I would say, a Calvinist uh, background. And the Calvinists were famous for believing that where the New Testament uses the word elect, they felt like, well, those are the ones, and they're predestined. In other words, he's he kind of believes only certain people were predestined for salvation. That was a teaching of John Calvin, which, again, right. t- takes one scripture and sort of extrapolates that to all scripture. And it's not true. It's not the message of the Book of Mormon at all, which, you know, the Book of Mormon clearly states all have equal chance. Men, women, black, white, bond free. Those are actually the actual parallelisms that the Book of Mormon uses, which I could talk for 20 minutes just on that verse and the Hebrew significance of it. Save that for later. But the, the fact that it's shared this way in the Book of Mormon is that everyone has access. And the people of the Book of Mormon saw this applied in a great way. You mentioned something interesting how the Jews in Jesus' day in Jerusalem, you know, they didn't want to brush shoulders with the Gentiles because they didn't follow their dietary laws, you know, of the Old Testament. Right. They didn't wash the way they're supposed to. They were just heathens, and some of them didn't even use good language, you know. But but the point was God's, God's message to the Jews was no, uh, like through, through Peter in this vision where he sees these unclean animals, and he says, Peter, arise and eat. And he says, mm-hmm. no, no, Lord, you're testing me. I'm not supposed to eat these. I know this is a test. He said, no, you don't get it. These are the Gentiles that you've been shunning. They're called to partake too. You go minister to them, right? Well, in the Book of Mormon, what's interesting is that we have even a more profound example when you consider, now we don't see this with our eyes in the story so much, but the Nephite story is told this way, that when Laman and Lemuel's family uh, departed, that said a skin of blackness came on them so that they wouldn't even, uh, you know, so the, they were marked because of their curse. But the, the point is, when their hearts change, and, and Helaman chapter 2 describes this huge, profound change beginning in the Lamanite society, they become more righteous than the Nephites. And so the Nephites, who always thought they were the most righteous, now see the people who they had cast out as dirty and heathen and un- unclean, all these things, with changed hearts who are more, more righteous and more loving and caring than they ever were. And so they're like mixing and mingling and doing all these things because God said, no, it's about the heart. It isn't about your culture, your background, or your race, or your skin color. You right. Know? That's so, and I think that these are setting good foundations in how we use the Word of God today, how we use the gospel today. It's because we may want to look at, well, it says that they met in groups of 50 and one priest was appointed over them and they, you know, they they would, whether to pray or to supplicate, you know, and now those scriptures, you could say, well, that could give us a good idea of what to do today, but I also say, like, they didn't have Zoom. They didn't have the Internet. You know, they didn't have <laughs> all of these things. Right. So so is the most important aspect of the word we need to worship exactly like they did? and then, Or is is it 
do we need to step back a little bit and look at like what was it saying to a culture of people and what were they putting first in their mind? And that's that's it's that's how we we need to be careful how we utilize the word so that our hearts can be can be changed right. like God. And right. so imagine a group of people that were so used to following this mosaic law and having to tr- just change their whole their whole mindset. Yes. Not that they you know, not that some of those things they maybe they didn't have to give up some of those things. Certainly they're not going to be killing animals every year, you know. That's not necessary, but here's the, here they are following this mosaic law. Christ comes on the scene, teaches all of these things, and now the relevancy of the New Testament is how do we change our mindset and be realize how inclusive the gospel of Jesus Christ is when there are different races, there are different cultures, and how do we take the information that was given then and utilize it and make it relevant today without, you know, without changing, uh, without stepping outside of of the word when it's giving in revelation and meaning. I don't know if that makes sense. You, no, no, it we is. We don't want to change the gospel. We don't want to leave the gospel and say this is no longer baptism and all of those things still absolutely relevant, but it's it's like we don't pluck a scripture out and, and then beep someone over the head with it. You look at the picture and like, here's two cultures that are changing. Here's Christ saying, all are my people now, not just those that follow the Mosaic Law. Everyone's included. And then you watch a society try to integrate that into their into their life. Yeah. Well, yeah. how much more relevant is that today when we have all of this friction in society? And it's like, how do we take the gospel and include everybody and say, look, it's not about black and white and racism and all of these things. It's about sin and coming to Jesus in one race and one baptism and one faith and no Jew and no Greek. Well, we're not going to talk about Jews and Greeks today. We're going to say no blacks, no whites, no Asians, no uh, Mexicans, no, I'm probably using every kind of bad, you know, unpolitically correct word, but that's, you know what I mean? It's, that's the relevancy today. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And you know, there's an application of that in a, in a parallel way with this whole final prophecy in that we as people in the restoration who feel like, hey, we've received this wonderful book, uh, Book of Mormon, we have to realize that it tells a bigger story than just us. We wanted, you know, we kind of wanted the story to be just about us who gathered to Jackson County and get in before the doors close and that's it. And there's this party that's going to happen called Zion. If you're here, you get to see it. If not, too bad. You know, I, I, I don't mean to sound... um Oh, oh, I don't know, condescending in that. But it's like what where I'm seeing this is that it, it's not about what we've been saying. It's about we, we there's like 100 bullet points and we've picked out like three of them that we like to tell. And so it's about the the world and the fallen and it's about restoring everyone whose heart will change back to God. It's not just about us who who happen to hear this story in the last days and only about us, you know. And so it, it's just like you mentioned, it's it's not about the black and the white and the and the races and all this. It's it's about this change of heart. Where the final prophecy, I think, um helped me and and I got to say this I I'm no authority okay I I'm I'm not a final word on this this is simply an attempt to organize some scripture we are the um we are the fortunate recipients of the uh the unweariness the humility the diligence of all these prophets whose words are in the scripture and if this can do anything 
it's designed to turn you to them. You know, not, not to me. Um, they're the ones who, who were tortured and suffered and, and multiple times, you know, um, f- just to get this word to us through the generations, right? And, and we're the recipients of their uh, amazing grace to us through, through God. Um, so it, it's a hope to point you back to them. I, I just feel, though, that the stories I had been hearing about Scripture in the last days, I wasn't able in my own mind to separate what was scripture from oral tradition, you know, mm-hmm. oral tradition for me and things I heard. And I realized that oral tradition was making me feel like it's just a small story about us. We're kind of the center of the universe. We being the Gentiles who receive this Book of Mormon. And, you know, the Jews had that same problem, though. They they received the law and they were led through the wilderness and they thought the story is just about us. You know, we're God's chosen. and God asked them to share to the world and they didn't. They and that's why the gospel goes to the Gentiles through all the apostles, you know, the Jews were supposed to herald this Messiah. This is why all of this was given to them so that they could see this law of Moses for instance, every jot and tittle, every piece of it in the Hebrew law was designed to point towards Messiah being the final sacrifice. They didn't understand that. They didn't tell the world that. That's what they were supposed to do. Uh, their minds were blinded to it because they never saw Christ through it. So the Gentiles get the message, and they try to teach. And then, and then the, the the Jews not only hate the Gentiles, but in in recent generations, you know, the Jews hate Jesus because he's the number one reason why they have been persecuted and suffered over the generations. Everything was done in the name of converting these heathen Jews to Jesus, right? And the torturings and all these things that have happened. Things history is also swept under the rug. But God brings the fullness of the gospel back to the Gentiles, us. Here's where we come into the story. And our job was to take the gen, this word that Gentiles were blessed with the pure fullness of the gospel again and take it back to Israel so they could have it. And, and we didn't, haven't carried that out either. We kind of made the whole story about us. So in the end, this is where God's words come into play. This is, I can do my own work. I can do my own work. And and we're at this point in the story where, you know, 3 Nephi 7 states, hey, in the day when the Gentiles sin and re- sin against my gospel, reject it, is the day when I'm going to take it back to the house of Israel. And that's when the kings will shut their mouths. That's when the world will see things it's never seen before. And we're coming up on that day. And this that's not the that's not the end of the story. That's, that's the beginning of a new light sh- shining forth in the world. And what I'm excited about as we go through this final prophecy is to talk about the wonderful promises that are ahead. If there's if there's some part of our story that I I hope we can I don't want to say correct like I'm correcting it. I hope we can see the message of scripture clearly. It's that the story doesn't end just because uh, we got gathered to Jackson County, right? And we have this picture that somehow well, we just have to gather to Jackson County because Zion's coming and we want to be in before the door is closed and then, you know, God'll be here and that's it. God's intention is he's going to establish a city. And at that point in time, that is called the second time. That is when the work commences, when the word goes out to the world in power. And there's, there's beautiful, powerful things that are going to happen in the world then. Um, you know, I, and it may have just been me and my paradigm, but I always kind of thought, 
well, this, the story kind of ends as soon as we're here. We're just waiting for the kingdom now. No, the, the, the beginning of the story hasn't even unfolded yet. Mm-hmm. We have so much to look forward to. <laughs> the beginning of the wonderful end. And, yeah. and who knows how long uh, those years or those decades will be, but it'll, it comes when Christ Christ returns and then it commences the gathering of all of the people to him not just in this land, but we know a great gathering uh, at the old Jerusalem, yes. which which by other people, maybe rightfully so, is also referenced as the new Jerusalem, that there will be a new Jerusalem uh, in the land of Israel, in, in that um, that place. Yes, a holy city again. A holy city, writes. yeah, as well as a new Jerusalem here, Yes, a gathering uh, because of the the love and the obedience and the faith of part of the house of Israel, Joseph, mm-hmm. because of that group of, of Israelites that came over to this land, promises were made for this land too, but it's all back to the house of Israel. So even as America is blessed, it's because of of the house of Israel, which goes back to the covenant of, of Abraham and Isaac, faithful Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and all because God said, this is the people that will, will bless the earth, and, and, and this is who I'm going to work with to bring my word and my law and my, my knowledge of me through them to record these things. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm excited about doing this final prophecy is not that we're going to go outline, like you said, not necessarily a class, but, but we'll, from week to week, pick out those sections, and we're going to be able to use the word because as I've watched other um, interactive online classes, when I hear the word and I hear it applied, it does something to my heart. It just gives me strength. It just there's this foundation there, and it's like, man, with everything going on, you got to hang your hat on something. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the word expounded and just spoken, and you say, "That's it. That's my foundation. That's the cement. That's the steel. That's the strong foundation. The rock that I want to stand on." Not all of these opinions on Facebook, not all of this other stuff going mm-hmm. on. So every time I hear the word and it's rightfully portrayed, it's like it's just that rock's just getting bigger and stronger mm-hmm. and nothing's going to crumble under your feet. And But you have to know that. It has to be integrated into your soul. It really does. Or, or it doesn't take much to just wipe your memory away and you forget all of those things, right? Isn't that true? And we have to keep coming back to it. We or- have to keep coming back to it. And and that's why these men, so, you know, he was, this, this Stephen Lawson, we're, we're uh, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up this episode here in a minute. And, um, but this, this, this teacher, I noticed with him, uh, he absolutely tells people you have to be in the word every day. And what it means to me is we have scripture reading programs where, hey, read the Bible in a year. That's not even on the radar Mm -hmm. of these these teachers. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans can take three years. Mm -hmm. But it's more important to look at the word and let it do its work that it was intended to do than to try to just put you know, 66 books in front of your eyes in, in 365 days. Exactly. Because that may make you feel like you accomplished something, but are you changed at all? And I'm not saying that that's bad, but at least do both. Slow down and really study, really study. And the other day he was talking about apostles and how that 
you know, how that ability to heal and everything died when the apostles, and that doesn't bother me anymore. It's like, that's your perspective. That doesn't mean that he's never going to come to a a fuller understanding of what Mm -hmm. we believe. Mm -hmm. That doesn't bother me at all because the other 90% of what he was talking about grace and about what the word means and what the word faith means in the Hebrew and how it applies in the scriptures is so beneficial to me in my life that I don't care if he doesn't believe apostles are in office right now. To be honest, I don't know if there's any apostles oh, on the earth well, anyway. Well, so well, it's not a big deal is, to me. You know, when I when I see other people do that and, and you pick something out, they think, oh, that doesn't quite jive with the gospel. But then I think, how many times have I said something that I was totally convinced of and now I've realized, you know what? Maybe that isn't right. <laughs> and so it's it, everything has to take us back to the word. And if we open our hearts to God, his spirit seems to bring the truth to the word and the meaning to the word. And, and it's always a little bit here and there, line upon line, you know, right. as it, as it comes. And, but if uh, I had to put my, if I had to put my money on the horse, that was to be a terrible analogy. If I was going to put my money on the one that was going to win the race and be in the kingdom of God on the right hand of God, it's going to be on the man that has come to love the word of God and not himself that points everything back to Jesus and what the word says about Jesus, the whole unified story of Jesus. And, and maybe a little thing wrong about apostles, whether they died off or not, but my money's on that person rather than the person that is trying to convince the world that the authority of apostleship still remains. And that's the message and all of the other stuff is left out. And I, I say that in the mo- with the most loving. Uh, I say that with the most uh, just empathy and love for my fellow people that I've shared my life with in the church because they're the very good people, very loving people. I love the the restoration. I love the fact you can go anywhere in the country, and if if you know that there was a. RLDS member, you could stay in their home without fear for your life. You know, (laughs) it's a wonderful community. I just want us to not be hijacked by the wrong message and get us back to our first love and watch what God does with, with all of us. You know, it's not to put anything down, but we got to look honestly at where we're at and, and, and do better. Yeah. And, and luckily, you know, we've turned, (laughs) despite what we've turned it into, uh, Final Judgment Day doesn't seem to be so much about doctrine like, oh, you got this one element wrong. You may have gotten 99% right, but you got this one wrong. Final Judgment is about the change of heart. And you know what? We're all somehow in error when it comes to doctrine. We don't always understand. I mean, certain nuances of, now I don't mean, you know, believing in Jesus and repenting of our sins, but, but there's little pieces that, you know, we can have wrong, but that's not the point. And, and, and God has told us what the point is and that's that we we come to him and our hearts are changed and if so our lives will reflect that change right right well i think this is a good uh overview of why we're we're going to dig into the word and uh, we've got some upcoming episodes we're going to walk through the story um the final prophecy and i hope it'll if nothing else i hope just us reading the word and talking about it will start to build a foundation and as we look at what is the gospel and how is it, you know, how is that relevant um, to us today in in our everyday walk with everything going on in America? Yeah. So be good to each other. Remember, we're just walking each other home. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>